0: Well, good morning, Redeemer. My name is Brian, and this morning we're going to be continuing our series on Jesus' seven I Am statements as they are found in the book of John. Now Jesus, in these seven I Am statements, is revealing His identity. That is, He's telling you who He is. These are foundational and core truths about the person and the work of Jesus. And Albert has already walked us through in John chapter 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And in John chapter 11, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 8, as Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But to give that a proper introduction, we're going to start at John 1.1. 1, 1. And as you're finding your place there on your Bibles or on your device, I'd encourage you to keep that open this morning. We'll be going back to it again and again. And I want to start this morning by thinking with you about the beauty and the mystery of of light. Light is mysterious. The nature of light is mysterious. Scientists have argued and debated whether light is a particle or a wave. It has this dual nature where sometimes it acts like a particle and sometimes it acts like a wave. And so the nature of light, this dual nature, is mysterious. But the speed of light is also mysterious. It's the fastest thing in the universe. The speed of light is 186,282 miles per second. So the moon is one light second away. The sun is eight light minutes away. And the closest star. Alpha Centauri is 4.3 light years away. Now, Albert Einstein says in his theory of special relativity that the closer you get to going the speed of light, the more time slows down. And if you could ever go the speed of light, time would actually stop. So, let's say you've figured out how to travel the speed of light, and you have an eight-year-old daughter. And you decide, you know, I don't really want to take my daughter with me to Alpha Centauri, so I'm going to leave her behind. And you travel at the speed of light to Alpha Centauri, and for you, because time stops, not one second goes by. You're not one second older by the time you return. But your daughter, who you left at eight years old is now driving because for her, 8.6 years have gone by. Right, wrap your brain around that. At the speed of light, time stops. But there's a problem with that. You see, Albert Einstein also says that as you approach the speed of light, matter becomes infinite. So you would really need to go on a diet after that one. Time stops, matter becomes infinite. The, The speed of light Is mysterious. But light is also beautiful. The sunrise or the sunset, especially over a body of water where it's reflecting all of the reds and oranges and yellows and they just light up the sky, right? Light is beautiful. Or maybe it's as it's refracted through water droplets and it scatters and sorts into that Roy G. Biv pattern and God paints a rainbow across the sky. Or one of my favorites is in, in the middle of a clouded horizon, right, where there's darkness all around. And then out in the distance, you see that ray of light that's breaking through the darkness. There's something that stirs my soul about the beauty of a ray of light piercing the darkness. Light is mysterious and beautiful. This morning, we're going to look at our passage under three headings. And those three headings are taken from three phrases in our key verse. And those three headings, first of all, we're going to look at the light of the world. Secondly, we'll consider uh, whoever follows me. And thirdly, we'll look at the light of life. So the light of the world, whoever follows me, and the light of life, and here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. The light of the world becomes the light of life as we follow Him, and that changes everything. Let me say that again. The light of the world becomes the light of life as we follow Him, and that changes everything. So let's look with me as we read together John 1, starting in verse 1. This is God's holy Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life And then John 8 and verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we consider Jesus' claim this morning to be the light of the world, I pray that you would convince us of our sin and misery, that you would enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and that you would renew our wills by the power of the gospel through the work of your Holy Spirit and the mediation of your Son. I ask that you would forgive the one who teaches his sins, for they are many. May we see Jesus and him only. Amen. So, first of all, let's consider this morning the light of the world. The light of the world. As Albert has pointed out with all of the I am statements, Jesus here uses the definite article He's the light of the world. He's not a light of the world, He's not one among many. He is the light of the world. And I want to look at this statement in the context of the narrative arc. Of the Bible because there was a time when there was no light of the world. Flip with me in your Bibles to the very beginning. Keep your finger there in John 8 and verse 12, but go back to Genesis 1 and verse 1. And God says, In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You see, as God begins creating, there is no light. It's only darkness. It's only darkness. And as God begins to form and fill what was formless and void, what's the very first thing that He does? Look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. You see, from the very beginning there are these two opposites that are paired together. There's light and there's darkness, and both are created by God. And both are named by God. He calls the light day, and he calls the darkness night. But here's the thing. The sun isn't created until day four. It's down there in verse 16. So where's the light coming from? Well, I think we find our answer at the very end of the Bible, at the consummation of creation in John's picture of the new heavens and the new earth. Germaine read the Old Testament version in Isaiah 60, but the New Testament version is found in Revelation 22 and verse 5, and it says this, and night, and night will be no more they will need no lamp of light or sun, they don't need the sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. You see, in the bookends of the Bible, in creation in Genesis 1 and the new creation in Revelation 22, they are in dialogue, right? They're mirroring one another and they're both saying the same thing. The end is like the beginning. And they're saying what we find In 1 John 1.5, they're saying that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. So when you have God, you don't need the sun. You don't need the moon because God is light. You don't need a lesser light because you have the light. You have the ultimate light. You have the true light. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world? Do you see what he's claiming? He's claiming divinity. He's claiming to be God. Now, Albert has already explained that as Jesus uses the seven I am statements, he's claiming divinity. You see, those I am statements aren't just a subject and verb. Jesus is actually using the divine name from Exodus 3, 14. Remember, when God sends Moses to the Israelites, he's commissioning Moses, and Moses asks, well, if they ask for your name, what am I to say? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You see, I am is the name of God. It's about his eternal existence. He's not in the past. He's not in the future. He is in the eternal present. And in this particular context, it's the promise of his presence that he is with you. And so as Jesus says, I am, he's claiming divinity. He's claiming divinity. Now, if you're a skeptic, here this morning, you might be wondering, well, how else is Jesus going to say it? You know, I is the light of the world. I are the light of the world. Now, of course, Jesus is going to use good grammar. He's going to say, I am the light of the world. But three other times, just in John chapter 8, Jesus uses I am as the name of God to claim divinity. Look down at John 8 and verse 24. Jesus says to the Pharisees here, for unless you believe that I am, and your English translation provides he, but Jesus just says, for unless you believe that I am, ego eimi, he's claiming the divine name, you will die in your sins. Jesus isn't just saying, unless you believe that I exist, right? He's using I am as the divine name. And then down in John 8.28, So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And again, your English provides the he to help make sense of it. And in John 8, 58, Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Right? Jesus is using the divine name to claim divinity. Now, he's not claiming to be the Father. His divinity rests in unity with the Father, but also distinction from the Father. And John poetically explains this in John 1.1. Did you catch it here as we read that this morning? In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So as Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's claiming divinity not once, but twice. He's claiming divinity when He says, I am. And He's claiming divinity when He says, the light of the world. He's saying something mysterious, something beautiful. He's saying something that we can't quite fully grasp, something that will unlock the secrets of the universe, and something that will help you see the world in a whole new way. He's telling you, I am God. And so Jesus this morning says to you, I am the light of the world. And I say to you, behold the light of the world. Behold your King. Behold Messiah, the light of the world. Then secondly, we have this phrase, whoever follows me. What's going on with this next phrase? It's kind of odd in its placement, right? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, you could say it doesn't really follow um, there. The connection, what what is this connection between I am the light of the world and whoever follows me? Let's get down to the root of this mystery here. Did you notice how John begins this verse? Again, Jesus spoke to them again. Again implies continuation. So what comes before again here? Well, if you're looking there in your Bibles, you'll notice that what comes before the again is the story of the woman caught in adultery. And you'll notice that it's in brackets. There's an opening bracket in John 7:53 and a closing bracket after John 8:11. And a good study Bible will tell you that this verse is present in many of the early Greek manuscripts, but not in all of the early Greek manuscripts. But this appears to be an accurate depiction of an event in Jesus' life but we're not quite sure where it belongs and so they're inserting it here in the text. So, if we're looking at what the again points to, we need to go back to John chapter 7. And if you're scanning backwards in John chapter 7, you'll find a time marker in John 7:37. It says, "On the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out." Okay, so the setting is a feast, but which feast? Keep scanning backwards and you'll get to John 7 and verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So the context and setting for Jesus' claim is the feast of booze. And he's either making this claim on the last day of the feast if the bracketed text isn't there, or a couple of days after the feast if the bracketed text is there. But either way understanding the Feast of Booths is going to unlock for us what Jesus is claiming. So, what is the Feast of Booths? Well, scholars tell us that the Feast of Booths was a seven-day pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the exodus, this was the longest, uh, the longest festival or feast in Israel's calendar, and it happened at the autumn equinox. And Israel would live in temporary dwellings, right, booths, for seven days. Basically, they're going camping right? They're, going, they're living in tents for seven days. They're camping out. Well, why celebrate the Feast of Booze? There were two reasons. First was to remember God's provision for Israel in the wilderness. For 40 years, Israel wandered, and for 40 years, God provided. And do you remember how He provided for them? He provided for them through the manna, that daily bread from heaven. And remember, back in John 6, Jesus, after he fed the 5,000 at the Passover, he's in the wilderness, and what does he say? He says, I am the bread of life, right? And the second reason for the Feast of Booths was thanksgiving. 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 It was Thanksgiving for this year's harvest. Reminding Israel that just as God had provided for them in the wilderness through manna, now he's still giving us our daily bread. It's just that the vehicle looks different. God is giving us our daily bread through the harvest. And on the last day of this feast, there were two events. One was a water drawing ceremony and the other was a lamp-lighting ritual. And the water-drawing ceremony commemorated God providing water from the rock in Exodus 17 and in Numbers 20. And on the last day of the feast, right, the great day, Jesus is in the temple. He's in the outer courts of the temple where they would have poured the water. And in John 7.37, He stands up And he cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, right? You see, Jesus is not only the manna in the wilderness, he's also the water from the rock. But then the second ceremony was the lamp lighting ritual, the lamp lighting ritual, and this commemorated the pillar of fire and light that guided Israel through the wilderness. Now, the Jewish literature of Jesus's day says that this light ceremony was one of the greatest wonders that you could see in your life. This too happened in the outer courts of the temple, the same place where they poured the water. And they took these four large stands, and on these four large stands they put four golden bowls each. So there are 16 golden bowls that you could only reach by ladder. And they filled these golden bowls with oil. And for the wicks, they used the worn undergarments of the priests. I kid you not. What are the priests going to do with their used underwear, right? Uh, Those are the wicks going in to these 16 bowls that are filled with oil. And then they waited till dark. And when they lit these 16 bowls, it lit up the entire city. Light radiated throughout Jerusalem, bouncing off Jerusalem's limestone walls. This would have been spectacular, And then there was music. Choirs of Levites would sing during the lighting. And people of piety and good works danced in the streets, carrying torches that they would have lit from those bowls, and singing hymns. Can you picture it? The light just radiating people of good works dancing in the streets, right? They're carrying their own light, they're singing hymns. And this picture was designed to show what it would have been like for Israel to behold the glory of the Lord in the pillar of fire as God led them through the wilderness. And as God led them through the wilderness, what did Israel do? Israel followed. For 40 years, Israel followed this light. When the pillar of light stopped, they stopped. When the pillar of light moved out, they moved out. When it went west, they went west. When it went east, they went east. For 40 years, Israel followed. They followed the light. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I am that pillar of fire. I am the glory of the Lord that filled the tabernacle. I am the light that led Israel through the wilderness. Follow Me. Jesus is the light of the world. Follow Him. And following in the book of John is a call to discipleship. Following Jesus is the essence of discipleship. So in John 1, the first time the word disciple is used, it's used of two of John's disciples and they hear John the Baptist say of Jesus, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what do they do? They become disciples. How? By following Jesus. A couple of verses later, as Jesus calls Philip to be a disciple, what does he say to Philip? He says, Follow me. And at the end of the book of John, after Peter is restored and Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die, Jesus says to Peter, What? Follow me. It's the call of discipleship. In John 10 and verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. It's the call to discipleship. Now, Jesus says that we can't follow on our own. In John 6.44, He says, no one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. And in John 3, He says that you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Jesus has to initiate this call of discipleship. He calls us to follow Him. And that's the call of discipleship. Now, In John's Gospel, following is synonymous with believing. And believing is the whole reason that John writes his Gospel. In the purpose statement in John 20 and verse 31, John says, these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by by believing you may have life in his name. So how is believing connected with following? Well, belief isn't mere intellectual assent, right? It's not just agreeing to a set of facts. Now, you have to have facts as part of belief. You can't, it's not belief without them, but having the facts isn't enough. Even having the right facts isn't enough. Believing is knowledge in action. So Lee and I uh, have taught so far four teenagers how to drive, and uh, today we start with our fifth teenager learning how to drive. Pray for us. Those teenagers can pass the test, right, the learner's permit test, and they can know that you take the key and you put it in the ignition and you put your foot on the brake and you put the car into drive and then you depress the gas, right? But that is knowledge about driving. It's not driving until what? They get into the car and actually do all of that and then follow the road. Oh, please follow the road, right? It's not driving until it's belief in, it's it's not driving until you put that knowledge into action. And that's what belief is. Belief is putting that knowledge into action. Belief anchors your life, it guides your step. It's not belief until you get into the car and drive. It's taking those facts and living by them. It isn't really belief until you follow the light. And so Jesus is calling us to daily and deliberate discipleship. And he says, follow me. Follow me. Belief. Discipleship. Following. So back to the Feast of Booths here. Rehearsing and enacting this seven-day camping Thanksgiving pilgrimage not only looked back to remember God's faithfulness in the past, but it also looked forward. It looked forward with an expectant hope that God would do this again in the future. They're saying once, long ago, God did this remarkable thing, right? It was called the Exodus, He led his people out of bondage and through the wilderness and into the promised land. And maybe, just maybe, God will do it again. They're cultivating a hope that maybe there will be a second exodus. And so Jesus takes that hope. And in John 6, he points to the manna and he says, I am the bread of life. And in John 7, he points to the water in the desert, and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And in John 8, he points to the pillar of fire, and he says, I am the light of the world. Follow me. You see, Jesus is saying that that second exodus, what you've been hoping for and practicing and rehearsing with this feast of booze year after year, the second exodus has come. Jesus is saying, follow me out of the darkness. Follow me out of bondage and slavery. Follow me through the wilderness. Follow me into the promised land. Follow me and I will take you all the way home. Something greater than the exodus is here. Whoever follows me. And then thirdly this morning, we have the light of life. The light of life. Jesus commands us to follow him. What happens when we follow Jesus? Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, what? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Photosynthesis is another mystery of light that was discovered in the late 1700s. We still don't know it fully and understand it all today. It's the process through which green plants transform light into energy. And it involves chlorophyll, that's what makes the plant green, and it takes the light using carbon dioxide and water to produce energy and it gives off oxygen. In other words, without photosynthesis, there would be no life, right? Through photosynthesis, light becomes life, but without light, plants die. And that's not just true for plants, that's true for everything in the world. Everything in the world needs a certain amount of light in order for there to be life. Light makes life possible. And so you could say, it's the light of life. And in the same way, in the same way, Jesus is the light of the world. And as you follow that light, as you believe that light, that light is photosynthesized and the light of the world becomes for you the light of life. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but what? But will have the light of life. You see, the light of the world becomes the light of life as we follow him. And that changes everything. We have new life. We're no longer in darkness and we become sons and daughters of light. We have new life. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ. We have new life. And John 1 says, verse 4 says in him was life and the life was the light of men and that light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not overcome it we have new life and we are no longer in darkness in john 12:46 jesus says i have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness God has called you out of the darkness and into His marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And as He does that, we become sons and daughters of light. In John 12.36, referring to Himself, Jesus says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light do do you know how radical that is we were once dead we were once in darkness but now we are sons and daughters of light in the sermon on the mount jesus puts it this way he says you are the light of the world A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let that sink in. We are the light of the world. By following the light, we become light. Not in and of ourselves, but in as much as we reflect the light of Christ. In the language of Isaiah, we become a light for the nations, right? Remember back at the Feast of Booths as they light these 16 golden bowls and it's lighting up the entire city and there's music and then there are men and women of piety and good works who are dancing in the street and they've gone and they've lit their torch And they're singing hymns as they go out from the light. Brothers and sisters, that's you. And that's me, right? As we follow the light, we become sons and daughters of the light. So pick up your torch and take your light to everyone that you meet. And as you do, remember that one day, darkness will be no more. And every time you see that ray of light that's breaking through the clouds, that ray of light that's piercing the darkness, remember that one day the final dawn will break and the shadows will flee away and He will make all things new. All because He is the light of the world. You see, the light of the world becomes the light of life as we follow Him. And that changes everything. You think about that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, would you pray with me? (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank You that You have not left us in the darkness, but You have called us into the light. That as we follow Jesus, the light of the world becomes for us the light of life. Would you transform us now as we behold your glory just a bit to make us more and more sons and daughters of light as we leave this place and go out into the world as the light of the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.